0: Welcome captives and captive friends to episode 9 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and presented by me, Richard Kutcher. Please do visit and follow us on LinkedIn by searching for Global Captive Podcast. And if you are currently listening to us on an ad hoc basis through SoundCloud links, then I do recommend subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or Spotify. It is free, no email is required, and you can choose to have every new episode downloaded straight to your phone. So, this episode, I am pleased to say that we are going to focus primarily on the topic of nurturing talent and the next generation within the captive industry. In March, I hosted a roundtable with Seeker President Dan Toll and two participants from the Association's Mentorship Programme, Karen Z and Ian Davis, both of whom have already featured in previous episodes of the Global Captive podcast. We will hear that insightful discussion in the second half of this episode, as well as feature comments from Malcolm Cutts-Watson, who is passionate about this topic too. But first, I should introduce our guest co-host for the episode, Chris Diel, Executive Director at London and Capital. Welcome to the pod.
1: Thanks a lot, Richard. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here and, and I'm, I'm very psyched about being able to make it into the single single digit episode number <laughs> cut so yeah absolutely delighted with that.
0: Good point, this is episode 9, the last before we hit the, what is 10? There isn't, it's not a century is it?
1: No, it's uh,
0: I, you know, decade shows, you know? a decade of yeah, shows. A decade of shows, there we go. Well Chris, one of the reasons I thought it would be great to have you on uh, this particular episode, is we are of a similar age and you have made impressive strides in your own career. I'd like to say we go way back since we were both at the University of York just over 10 years ago, but while I'm afraid to say we did not cross paths in the north of England, we have got to know each other well since finding ourselves
1: working in the global captive insurance market. Absolutely, I love, love the little name drop there for our alma mater. Yeah. Uh, always, good to, uh, always good to hang out with an alumni.
0: And I believe you're just back from the Bermuda Captive Conference. Unfortunately, I couldn't, I couldn't make it this year. But how, how was the conference for you?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, as good as ever. We know the island very well. We, you know, we tend to visit five, six times a year, uh, visiting clients and, and obviously getting up to speed with the latest developments in the, in the captive space.
0: Yeah, it was actually my first time at the Bermuda Conference last year. It often would clash with other events here in the UK, which meant I couldn't get over there. And I was really impressed with the Bermuda Captive Conference and was a little bit gutted. I couldn't make it because you actually see there are, there are a good number of, of large captive owners there, which is great, but also they're often the captive owners you don't see at other events. Um, so um, obviously there's some huge, big corporate brands there, and, and they do a good job of getting those, those guys onto the panels. So for those of our listeners who may not have come across London and Capital before – Can you, Chris, provide a bit of background on the firm and the kind of captives that you do work with?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'll try not to uh, bore you too much. I'll keep to the the elevator pitch as it were. But London the Capital, we're an independent wealth management firm. Uh, We're based in London, but we have a team that specializes in managing money for for captives and other small insurers. We've been working with captives for about 13, 14 years now. And you know our team has been specifically built around the captive market, which is quite a unique proposition. So, you know, we have a team that includes accountants who previously worked for captive management firms, qualified and paid up actuary in our team who provides you know our clients with an ex- that extra level of insight and, and sort of handholding, particularly around capital modelling. Um, we also have a ex sort of chief investment officer um, who who used to work in the Lloyd's market. So we have a really well rounded team of. Investment professionals who specialize in, in working with insurers.
0: Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that um, London Capital are very generous with the way that they share their information and thought and leadership. And when I first joined Captive Review oh, five and a half years ago now, William DL and, and the London and Capital team were, were very supportive of me and gave me a lot of time to understand the role that the investment. And managers um, and investment strategies, and the importance of those to captives. So I've always been very grateful to London Capital for doing that. Um, we mentioned you were in Bermuda uh, just last week. Uh, London Capital, is it fair to say your portfolio is mainly focused in Bermuda, Cayman, Barbados, and how did that come about?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair fair comment, and and certainly the offshore sort of captive space is, is the area that we that we're most focused on. You, you mentioned uh, William DL, he's, he's my father, a bit of nepotism has, has helped to get me in, uh, my foot in the door here, and maybe uh, I shouldn't be saying that on a Next Generation podcast. Well, but, that's a good topic to uh, <laughs> But yeah, many of your listeners will know William, who who was the previous partner. Uh, he stepped down in September last year, but he came in about 13, 14 years ago to set up the, the institutional team at London the Capital. At that point, William had just left his uh, role at Zurich Insurance after working um, in the insurance sector for, for about 30 years. And he ended, his last role was actually overseeing Zurich's Latin American sort of life insurance and pensions operations uh, from their office in Miami. So having been based in Miami, Florida, he was looking for a new challenge. He, uh, He got introduced to London Capital and Investment Management sort of piqued his interest. Quickly found out he was not uh, overly enamoured with working with private clients. So I just don't think he had the patience for it. But yep. uh, but he thought that the investment proposition itself was was a, a really well thought out uh, proposition that could apply very well for small insurers, particularly captives who were at that point in time often shunted into sort of retail investment products. So um, being based in Miami, Cayman was naturally on the doorstep, as it were. So you know that was the first place he went, sort of knocking on some doors and you know famously says it took took him at least 2 years to sign up a client and uh, you know captives they take their time they they like to like to see that you're committed to the space and that you understand their business model and it's completely understandable and you know fast forward to today we're we're managing over a billion dollars uh for for insurers and captives
0: great and i know another area that you guys have uh, focused on and have some success in is it particularly in uh sales and you do manage a lot of uh, sell assets
1: yeah that's right yeah I love a leading question so I can definitely take that one up. Um, so another of the sort of key challenges that, we, that certainly we saw when we first came into the sort of captive space was, was around captives trying to find investment managers who are willing to manage smaller pots of money um, particularly after the great financial crisis there were a lot of investment management firms who were delighted to money, manage money for, for captive portfolios providing those portfolios could be measured in in eight digits that, that's great business when you can get it and don't get me wrong we we're very much interested in talking to uh, captive owners with larger larger pots of money but the reality is you know we thought well how, how can we help the captive industry how can we actually make a difference we didn't want to be a me too uh, me too player as it were so what about the captives with $250,000 two and a half million you know if you can't add value for those kind of small captives and give them another lever that they can use in their business to grow through investment returns and, and, and obviously capital efficiency then uh, then we felt we were missing a chance to contribute. So really, that, that, was, that was the reason why we sort of specifically targeted sales. And since then, we've, we, we now manage uh, money for, for over 350 cells um, and about $400 million across that, that sort of sales strategy, as it were. So the reason why we've, we've gotten a lot of traction in that area is the fact that when you look at the heart of the, the business model for sales structures, particularly for captive managers and captive sponsors, is trying to create something that's scalable. That's yeah. cost-effective, that you know provides value on the underwriting side, allows um, the the, cap, the cell owners to to underwrite their business without a tremendous amount of of upfront investment, and I think cell sponsors uh, have have achieved a lot of that by providing you know consistent uh, consistent back end solutions. So whether that's using the same actuary, the same accounting, um, the same fronting companies, all of those all of those pieces fit together nicely. We we thought that actually who's who's thinking about the investment side of this yeah. because you get you you get a cell sponsor who's got a cell structure with, with ten different cells and each cell wants to use their own investment manager well that that creates a lot of sort of reporting headaches and and scalability issues so we provide a consistent investment accounting platform performance reporting compliance monitoring and it really it's a case of creating a, a turnkey solution much like yeah, cell structures are. I only started to realize this later on in my
0: Editorship at Captive Review But often we just talk about captives Generically, or, or talk about captives Generally, sorry, about particularly on the Solomon 2 issue, for example And then it was only someone came up to me one day and said Oh, how, how does Solomon 2 work for cells? And I was like, well, I'm the, first of all I'm the wrong person to ask, because I'm not an expert But I've never asked that question myself So it's interesting that you saw that that need and that opportunity and and have been successful in, in serving that. So uh, congratulations to London Capital on that. Just lastly on this then, um, thinking about sales and capitalism, obviously you do have a diverse book. In your experience, and this probably is an answer that we could, this is a question that could probably fill a whole separate episode, but in your experience, how do captives' uh, approaches to asset management strategies vary within the work that you guys do?
1: Yeah, yeah that's a great question. And, and you're quite right. You know, we could, we could talk for a few hours on this. But, you yeah, know, I think really fundamentally it comes down to three points of difference. One is kind of the maturity of the captive. So are we talking about early stage? Are we talking about captives and runoff? All of those things. Lines of business. What lines of business are they underwriting? Um, what are they looking to do with those lines of business? Are they looking to grow those? Are they looking to bring in new lines of business? And then really risk tolerance. So you know, I'm, t- I'm really when I talk about risk tolerance, what I mean is, you know, can can the captive uh, parent stomach you know a, a loss? Can they? Are they in a position to be able to pitch in more capital? If not, then you know. Conservative investment approach seems like the best way and I think that's that's probably describes most captives I think what we've seen actually is that around the edges of the captive space there are some really interesting use cases for, for investments and different investment approaches so for example we've got some clients who are utilising sort of parametric triggers um, yep. within their own um, policies largely you know the, the clients I'm talking about largely cover catastrophic risks but we know that parametric triggers are becoming more prevalent particularly around cyber and things like that we know that when you're looking at catastrophe risk that in parts of the world some of those kind of risks are seasonal so we, we think deeply about working with the client and understanding well if it is seasonal when, when do you need liquidity yeah. um, how can we adjust our investment portfolios to maximise return, but also make sure that the money's there as and when we need to pay a claim.
0: Um, Also, I think one of your most high-profile clients and publicly known clients is the the Caribbean Risk Facility. Is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, that's uh, uh, CRIF, CRIF SBC, based in Cayman. Yeah, like you said, they're almost a quasi-sovereign captive and that's a really interesting use case and, you know, we get a lot out of working with them on their new covers and and all of that kind of stuff.
0: That's a really great. And and Malcolm Cutts-Watson, I know who you know well, obviously talked about that case as well. Um, that captive example as well as, as as innovative and something addressing kind of climate change risk, which is issued close to his heart, well, funnily enough, Malcolm is actually appearing on this episode as well to kick off our discussion on nurturing and developing talent in the captive industry. Malcolm is formerly chairman of the Willis Global Captive Practice and now managing director of his own captive consulting business. Malcolm was guest co-host for episode five, as I just mentioned, but he also spoke to me about attracting and developing people to drive innovation and move the industry forward.
2: I think the other area of interest really is is developing the talent. And there's a lot of people like me who are over the hill... Old, um, <laughs> outdated, and they need to be replaced in the day to day business by young you know, talent. And is that happening fast enough? Are the programs in place to allow them to develop to their full potential? I'm not sure that's the case.
0: Yeah, it's something we're going to talk about a lot more in a few episodes' time. We, I hosted a roundtable at Seeker with uh, Karen Zee from the University of California and Ian Davis in Vermont about that exact topic and, and what Seeker are trying to do to, to uh, mentor uh, young talent. But I think that the Seeker initiative is great and it will, will definitely help guide some of the younger talent in the industry, which is already there, what well, it doesn't do, but it doesn't bring in that new talent and attract new talent to the captive industry. You know, if, if the captive industry is going to continue to be innovative and continue to evolve and grow, then we're going to need new, fresh
2: ideas, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I work to a trusted advisor model. That's, to me, a perfect captive manager, is regarded by the client as a trusted advisor. And, and there are two aspects to that. One is, I suppose, you're, you're the character of the person. Do you trust this person? Um, you know, What's their intent? What's their integrity? And then the other side is, is I suppose, do you respect this person? Um, are they competent? Do they have capabilities? Do they have a proven track record and results? And I think we should be looking at our talent and saying, how do we... Fill out their CV? How do we give them more experience so that they can tick all those boxes? Because once you get that long term relationship and the trust, then it works very well and the client's very happy and they get good value, and hopefully the captive manager will receive fair compensation for the work they're doing. Now, it's a responsibility of a number of people. You know, the management companies themselves obviously have training programs, and, and, and that's good, and they have development programs. The trade associations, the captive associations have a responsibility as well. We've seen it with Seeker, with their mentoring program. It's definitely a step in the right direction. And finally, I think it's the individual. They have a responsibility to, to take ownership of their own development and they should be empowered so that they can pursue their own um, development. And, and there are a lot of quick wins there. You know, the, the idea of finding a, a business coach someone like myself there's a lot of other experienced gray-haired people who'd be more than happy to sit down with some of the younger talent and just talk through some of the particular issues give them some guidance to help them and it may be technical or it may just be soft skills help them with with that I think podcasts like this are a great way of getting a lot of information broadening your knowledge especially if you're in one location Uh, there's a lot of reading content you know, that's available for free on the internet. There are a number of role models, probably within your own organization, that you can talk to. I always tried to, when I was visiting clients or visiting markets, to spend time with the brokers and the insurance markets and just get an understanding of, of what they're doing, what their issues are, um, talk to the client and the risk management department, understand how they're interacting with the, the rest of their organization. All that building up that, that, that body of knowledge
0: Yeah, It's interesting, I think that what we uh, what I'm also always struck by is that those people who are are in the captive industry, younger people who are in the captive industry and and are passionate about it, they really are responding for knowledge. And you do, you do, whether it's when I was at Captive Review and they were reading Captive Review, because the captive market is um, is quite niche, if you want to put the, the time in to understand it, you can quite quickly gain this is what I gained a few years ago quite quickly gain a very broad. Uh, kind of global perspective of the captive market it's not all the extra detail and you, you'll bring that detail and you'll add that technical detail in at a later date but I think with the captive world you can quite quickly position yourself to be uh, globally minded and, and and see how all the different parts fit together and I don't just mean globally minded in terms of ge- geography but in terms of the role of the broker the role of the captive manager the role of the front of the law firms the investment managers it all it's one, one part of one jigsaw and I think particularly if you work in a captive market, you do need to understand all those different elements as well to
2: it. I think as captive managers, sometimes we could be accused of um, trying to hold the relationship with the client and, and, and not really share that with a number of other service providers who've got value. And the other thing I suppose I learnt was that really I didn't spend enough time getting to know the insurance markets. I was so focused on the client servicing side that you know I neglected to to build those relationships and and, and one of the other things that uh, talent can do, which is sort of picking up on your point really, is build their own network of, of peers and other people with experience through LinkedIn and things like that, just so that they 've got a much larger community that they can t- talk to people about things. The Global Captive
0: podcast is supported by RQ, the award winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers, and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement, whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RQ. Welcome back to Episode 9, where I am joined by London and Capital's Chris DL. Shortly, we will hear from Dan Toll, Karen Z, and Ian Davis on the Seacore Mentorship Program. But first, I am pleased to announce that the Global Captive Podcast will be attending the Vermont Captive Insurance Association Annual Conference in Burlington from Monday the 5th to Thursday the 8th of August. VZIA is a fantastic gathering of the US captive market, and I personally find it one of the must-attend events in the captive calendar. I'll be moderating the panel on Wednesday, framing the current economic expansion considerations for your captive at 11.15 to 12.15pm. I'll be joined on that panel by Scott Mildrum, Economic and Macro Strategist at Performer, and Sean Barnes, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Investment Officer for United Educators Insurance, a reciprocal risk retention group domiciled in Vermont. On the panel, we will address the current economic climate and how that might impact upon captive investment strategies. There's something quite relevant there for for our conversation, Chris. Absolutely. Um, While in Vermont, I'll also be recording a series of interviews with captive market participants and captive owners for use in future episodes of the podcast. So if you believe you have something interesting to share with your fellow listeners, please do get in touch with me either directly through LinkedIn or email me richard at globalcaptivepodcast.com. In advance of VCIA, I caught up with Rich Smith, president of the association, and he explained how preparation is coming along for August.
3: One of the new things we're doing this year is uh, we've created a captive immersion program to uh, actually start on the Monday of the week. Usually our conference starts on Tuesday, and the the main conference does still start on Tuesday. But captive immersion is going to be uh, an afternoon where we have uh, key experts in the service provider industry for the captives come up and use the time to talk about the uh, effects of what they do, what they provide the industry, how that impacts the captive. And it really is meant for folks who are both not only uh, Younger professionals who are relatively, you know, new in the industry, but also captive owners who just m- might have just started a captive who can come in and understand the impacts of both, you know, what does the auditor do, what does an actuary do, uh, what does the legal team do for you. So uh, we're hoping that that provides a new level of depth to the, the information uh, that we provide the industry.
0: Great, really interesting. How would you, how would you say then, Rich, in your time have being involved with uh, BCIA? Has the format and style of the conference evolved um, over the years as the industry and culture of, of the captive sector has, al- has also changed?
3: Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think when I first started, you know, we were still very much in the kind of formal format of having a panel of experts with PowerPoints uh, that uh, you know take an hour and a half and lecture on the particular issues that they want to bring to the bring to to the fore for the industry. That still works in, in, in a lot of areas, but I think what we've done is try to shift to less PowerPoints, uh, more interaction uh, with the audience, trying to understand what their specific questions are. You know, we have a tool we uh, utilize called Social Q&A, and that, and that allows the audience to uh, ask questions from their iPhones of the panel during the session itself. So it, it really, and, and then what that does is calculate which questions get the most, garner the most interest, and from that the panel can then, you know, format their session a little bit uh, to meet the, the, the broader questions that come from the audience. We're, we're providing a lot more in terms of peer-to-peer forum. You know, we've heard, time and again that uh, the education is is excellent and you know obviously we you know a lot of the industry folks come for that. but what really is quite helpful for them is having the opportunity, both informally and formally to, you know, meet uh, their peers and have, you know, discussions about what's impacting either their particular service or the captives themselves. So we have a number of different forums that are set up both for captive owners. We also have a, a forum for young professionals, you know, to talk a little bit about, you know, the challenges. And uh, provide some guidance for them.
0: Thank you, Rich. Well, it's your second time appearing on the Global Captive podcast, so I appreciate that. And I think my first ever phone interview. I try to avoid doing these on the pod because the quality isn't always good, but I know you've got some equipment your side because we used to do this together uh, about a year ago. So uh, thank you, Rich, for introducing me to podcasts as well. And <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> I will see you in Burlington.
3: Yes, we're looking forward to i uh, I did want to, uh, if you had time, I'd, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we, we have you. Uh, moderating uh, one of our forums, uh, one of our sessions, and uh, I really appreciate your ability to come over and uh, I think you bring great knowledge and and breadth to the industry, so we look forward to having you over here.
0: Pleasure as always, Rich. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. So, I look forward to seeing many of you in Burlington. As I said prior to hearing from Rich, please do get in touch with me in advance if you would like to meet. As regular listeners know, the last time I was on the other side of the pond, I recorded a lot of content that has been used in our first nine episodes. One particularly insightful piece was on the Secor Mentorship Programme that was launched around 18 months ago. This roundtable was recorded in March and Seeker have since, earlier this month in fact, launched its next-gen task force. To find out more about that initiative, do visit the Seeker website www.seekerworld.com but I'll be sure to catch up with Dan Toll on the plan for the task force when I am in Vermont in August. Welcome to a Global Captive Podcast Roundtable, debating the talent gap in our industry and the next generation of leaders. I am joined by the President of the Captive Insurance Companies Association, Dan Tong. Hello, Dan.
4: Hello, Richard. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad you're Broadcasting from uh, Sica's International Conference.
0: Also with me is uh, Karen Z, Program Manager for the University of California's ever-growing portfolio of captives. Hi, Karen.
5: Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me.
0: And Ian Davis, Director of Financial Services at the State of Vermont Department for Economic Development.
6: Great to be here with you, Richard.
0: So I can't say I know whether talent and attracting new talent is a topic that has previously been ignored by captive leaders and the industry, but it definitely seems to be like a seems to sound like a theme now starting to be addressed or at least discussed more broadly, whether that's through Seeker's own mentoring scheme or but the University's widely heralded own student-run captive program, we are hearing and reading a lot more about such initiatives. Dan, why did you identify this area as a priority when taking the reins at Seeker?
4: Well, first of all, I think it's something the industry has talked about for some time, but I can't say there was a whole lot of action taken. So we thought, again, our role as a leader in the industry, it made sense for us to to work on uh, both attracting new talent, um, then when we attract them into the industry to help mentor them and nurture them and give them the tools to be successful. We, we all know that there's a lot of us that are going to be retiring. Uh, statistics keep backing that up. And we thought it was an important role for us as a leader in the industry to really help do something more actionable about it. And uh, we're we're very pleased to launch the mentorship program.
0: Fantastic, and on the mentoring scheme, I I would ordinarily ask you, Dan, to tell me how great it is and how much success it's been, but we have two of its participants Mm -hmm. here, so why not go straight to the horse's mouth, so to speak. Karen, why did it appeal to you, and what have you got got out of the mentorship program so far?
5: So, as a mentee, I think it was really an opportunity to learn and grow for some, from somebody who was a few steps ahead of me, uh, whether that be career-wise or even in my personal life. It was has been great working with Anne-Marie in terms of skill building, self-awareness, uh, being able to develop even a long-lasting friendship outside of the formal mentorship program, but I think the best thing I've been able to gain from all of this is being new to the captive insurance industry. I came in not knowing anyone and now I have these face-to-face personal introductions to resources that I can utilize um, from accounting to actuaries to legal. It's been an amazing experience just to be able to have those face-to-face and personal connections I can just call up
6: whenever I need.
0: Sounds great. And Ian, how have you made use of of the program?
6: Sure, I would echo a lot of what uh, Karen said. Uh, Myself, I've been in the captive insurance industry for about two years now, but as soon as the SECA mentorship program was launched, I, I certainly identified it as something I'd like to participate in. I had no finance or insurance background prior to coming into the industry, and this was a nice way, I think, to formalize a relationship with a uh, a tenured professional in the industry much different than say I think a, a networking which is a bit more informal and sure there are ample opportunities for networking events but this is really more of a structured program uh, I've worked with my mentor uh, Kirk Watkins of Tryon uh, now for well over a year and that relationship has really blossomed but I, I think you know for myself it could be anything from uh, in terms of our mentor mentee relationship it's 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 having a valued and trusted resource uh, that I can tap into at, at you know any given moment. It's really a, a commitment of time on their behalf, and you know we certainly, as mentees, I'll speak on Karen's behalf, but I'm sure we we really <laughs> appreciate. Uh, You know, the fact that they are doing that uh, and are are willing to to be a resource for uh, relatively new people within the industry.
0: One of the comments I often hear from younger people, and I even put myself in that young person bracket despite the pattern balding or just general hair loss, um, is that you often don't hear about the insurance industry as a career option when you're finishing high school or at university or college. I know in the UK, often the term insurance is immediately associated with the door-to-door salesman trying to flog you life or car insurance now, rightly or wrongly, that image is not a particular positive one as, as a career move. Karen and Ian, is, is there a lack of awareness and information around the corporate insurance world, do you think, whether, whether it involves captives or not, do you think that's a problem for attracting graduates, that people don't necessarily recognize the nuances and, and the way that this, this industry works?
5: Uh, I definitely agree with what you just said. Insurance right off the bat, especially if you go and you're recruiting on a campus, Is not a sexy industry to get into but you're not really attracting all the young talent that's out there to be honest Um, it's funny that you say that you say insurance and people think life or sales life insurance or um, car insurance car insurance exactly because that's actually the first image (laughs) that pops into my mind Um, and especially being on the west coast you know, uh, at the University of California, you see a lot of the tech companies being the draw for the Silicon Valley and the new recruits. And I think a lot of times what's not being emphasized within the insurance industry or particularly captives is the fact that it's actually a very, very versatile industry. You work with a, a lot of different People, you, it's a people's industry, and that never gets emphasized. So people think, okay, well, insurance, not my thing. But really, you get the variety that you wouldn't get at a lot of those other companies that are drawing talent.
0: Yeah, there's good travel, right? There's conferences like this, which can be fun. Well, not every, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I think most people around this table, it's, Absolutely. It is our, it's our cup of tea. It's quite well remunerated. It's a professional industry. I mean, those are some of the positives that attract you into it, Ian.
6: Yeah, certainly. And I think that from a macro perspective, I think that the higher education community as a whole is really moving towards uh, a, an environment in which they're, they're identifying that certain industries are really not they're not providing the curriculum for students to be able to graduate and enter into industries that have ample employment opportunities, certainly insurance being one of them. You know, it's not unlike manufacturing. Insurance and manufacturing both have negative connotations. It's, you know, there's a number of issues that, that these industries from a macro perspective are facing. And the talent crisis, I think, is, is real. I think that, uh, and applaud organizations like SECA. And others who are filling a void really that currently is not being met. We're also seeing those educational institutions that are ahead of the curve, the butlers of the world, who are preparing their students and equipping their students with the knowledge and skills required uh, to enter into you know these industries. Which, from you know someone who's been now in the, on the job for two plus years, I think it's a very exciting and really innovative industry, I think you know, the industry could probably do a better job of yeah. selling what is that value proposition, the ability to work in a new and innovative industry that is dealing with real world problems and helping companies uh, better finance and manage risk.
4: One thing I wanted to comment is uh, I've tried to get away from the word talent gap because I think we have very talented people in this industry. It's more a quantity of people entering our industry and are, that are being involved with it because I think most, that once they get their feet wet, they understand how incredibly rewarding, exciting, and challenging it can be. It's just we need more people to come in. So I, I think it's a disservice to the talent we have at this table <laughs> that yeah. it's not a talent gap. It's really more getting people excited and interested about careers in captive insurance.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I think that's true. So what, what has the general... Response being then down to the uh, mentoring scheme, uh, response and feedback. Was it uh, and was it a struggle to get the existing leaders, people like you know, Karen mentioned, Amory, Ian's, Kurt, Kurt Watkins is Ian's men- mentor. Has it has it been a struggle getting the, the senior names to kind of sign up to it?
4: We have about 50 people all in in the program right now. One of our goals was we wanted to have about at least twice as many mentors as mentees because we want to have options. Because again, you're you don't necessarily know who's a good fit for you until you've interviewed them, and we think that's an important part is to make sure that a really good match between the two. But there's absolutely been some challenges. Uh, one of them, believe it or not, was to find mentees. Mentees don't, people don't always raise their hand and said, yes, I want to be in the program. They don't really understand what it's about. Uh, and then on the other side, one of the things that was quite remarkable is that the people that signed up as a mentors, for the most part initially, were all 30-year career folks, which honestly, if you're new to the career, you probably relate better to someone who's five or 10 years into it versus someone who's in the twilight of their career. Not to say you can't still get value out of that, but one of our real goals is to try to get people at different levels in their career that could be commensurate with their mentee. So it, it's possible that Karen and Ian graduate out of their current mentors, move on to someone else or, or what have you. And, and I even think about the program for myself, you know, I never had to report to a board of directors. I can imagine myself valuing that benefit from another person that, you know, at some point I'd love to have, again, every level of someone's career have, have mentees or have mentors available for it.
0: Chris, we're both, and I, I think this is true. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I still, I still say that we're relatively young in this industry. It's all relative. Right? <laughs> it's, it is all relative. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you believe there is a, a lack of the next generation coming through? What's your impression? Obviously, from you were in Bermuda recently, and you travel a lot around captive domiciles in the captive market.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting question. I, I think, and I, to be fair, I think Dan's comment in, in his interview in the roundtable about well is this a talent gap or is this a lack of quantity rather than perhaps quality I think it was was spot on but you know the problem of supply and demand is not a unique challenge I don't think and um, you know we see it across a number of industries investment management included but also you know construction and tech and you know it really is affecting a large swathe of the economy and I wonder whether a lot of that is actually down to still just pure demographics you know mm. you've, you've got a big baby boom population coming through but interestingly The largest cohort in the US is actually people in their 20s um, not people in their 60s so while while I do think that there is uh, there are some challenges around attracting people into the captive space I'm kind of a bit maybe a bit more positive about the fact that there are there are people coming through and certainly my own experiences that I've worked with some fantastic uh, sort of people below the age of 40 shall I say in in captive management firms in you know reinsurance firms and through through that exposure, I, I would say that uh, I would say that in terms of quality, we, we should be set. But yeah, I, I think take Dan's point around quantity is a good one.
0: How would you then? Last question on this: How would you advertise or promote a career involved in captive insurance to
1: graduates and others uh, starting out their careers? you know that's a really really tricky question I mean I think there's there's a number of different levels and to be fair I think the industry is already addressing each one of them in, in its own way so I mean you start in school I think one of the comments is well I, did, I didn't really know about insurance no one told me about insurance at school and I think that's a fair point but you know I was at the Bermuda Captive Conference last week they had some specific sessions where they invited in some high schoolers from Bermuda um, from the local sort of state schools there and, and you know that that was that was a really great experience, and I think you know they had a chance to speak with the keynote speakers as well as um, some of the sort of the the premier sort of leaders, I guess, in our industry. So that that that's a really great sign and a great initiative, and I'm sure it's something that can be replicated in in other places beyond Bermuda. I think then the next level is really well at university. What kind of exposure are we're getting? And again, we've seen some really great signs of universities yep. taking a leading role, and I think that comes from the risk management element. But the university is a classic case yep. in point. And I think then the next step is, well, okay, how do you get those graduates in? And you know, you look you look at the you look at the the big three brokers like Aon, Willis, Marsh, you know, Aon actually has a specific stream for for graduates looking to get into the captive space. And I think that's a really fantastic initiative. You know, those kind of graduate schemes where you get six month rotation, I think is a great little insight and taster into into the captive space and one that can be replicated across across our industry. Absolutely. And I think one, one of the opportunities,
0: I think one of the great opportunities for the insurance industry in the next 10, 20 years to attract some of the best graduates um, to insurance rather than to, to banking or to, or to other areas is actually climate change. Because I was just at an event for the last two days at Cambridge University and it was amazing. They've got a big risk centre there and there's a huge focus this year on on environmental issues and the risks that they face they pose to organizations and one of the risks we're already seeing graduates who are passionate about climate change and the environment do not want to work for certain industries anymore yeah um they they might not want to get they don't they they might not want to go to work for a large oil company or maybe a large bank which has hard large investments in 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 um, fossil fuels The insurance industry is quite ideally placed to fit, not fix, but to help solve some of these problems, as we've talked about. And I think if, as graduates do their research, if they see insurers working on these big problems, that will be attractive graduates will want to work for for organisations that are are serving some kind of public good and insurers can do that and that might be something that we almost is an inadvertent opportunity for for the insurance market but I think they should be aware of that and they should be shouting about that.
1: Yeah absolutely and you look at the the insurance gap as it were and it's it's huge. Yeah. They're, they're, that's a recognized issue. But it does mean that there's there's a tremendous amount of growth out there for, for insurance companies, especially if they can solve some of those big, big challenges that we're facing.
0: So that is almost it for episode nine of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by Legacy Specialists R and Q. Thank you to all my guests this week, Malcolm cutts Watson, Rich Smith, Dan Toll, Karen Z and Ian Davis, and of course, Chris L, my guest co-host from London and Capital. And see you next time, captives.